Romans chapter 13, in verse 1 it says, Let every soul be subject or submitted to the governing authorities. For there is no authority except from God, and the authorities that exist are appointed by God. Now, as we have been studying here, <laughs> as we've been studying here, remember the first 11 chapters on the doctrine and, and clearly explaining what Christ has done for us and who we are in Christ. And chapter 12 began that process of sanctification. There were some hints of it before that. But in chapter 12, he clearly let us know that we need to be giving our bodies as a living, holy sacrifice unto God. And as we do that, we'll be able to test to know what that perfect will of God is. And then we can begin ministering, doing the ministry God's called us to do, because God's given us a measure of faith and a gifting. And then he gave a whole bunch of one-liners that the Holy Spirit is working in us. A true love without hypocrisy, to abhor what's evil, to cling to what's good, and be affectionate to one another with brotherly love. And he goes on and on um, until he finally comes down and he says... Don't be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. Now remember, the chapters and verses weren't broken up when Paul wrote this letter. That came later. And so now we come to the very next thought. Don't be overcome by evil. Now, talking about government, <laughs> that's the thought process here. Remember who Paul is talking to, the church in Rome. He's talking, as we learned earlier, to Jews and to Gentiles. And believe me, the Jews were feeling the unrighteous pressure that's been placed upon them by the Roman government. First of all, they killed their Messiah. <laughs> You know, that's, that's bound to get to you. Secondly, seeing people continually crucified, mistreated, taxed. The Jews had a special tax just because you're a Jew. Period. They had a special tax. And so they definitely were feeling the push and the pressure by the Roman government in particular against them. Now, it wouldn't be long that Paul would, after Paul would write this letter, that the Roman government would really begin to put the squeeze on Christianity. Ultimately, the emperor who beheaded Rome went crazy, setting Christians on fire, actually making Christians lamps, taking Christians, tying them up, putting them on a stake, and he would set them on fire around his palace and have his friends come over for a party. And the torch that set his palace on fire were Christians burning. And then he set Rome on fire and blamed the Christians for doing it. He went nuts. Now, Paul is not ignorant of what's happening here. And he says... No doubt there was the big question, how do we view such a tyrannical government? How do we view a government that is clearly anti-Christ, crucified him, 
and now is becoming more and more belligerent against those who follow Christ. Paul said, don't lose the heavenly perspective. Number one, don't lose the heavenly perspective. God is in charge. Now, this is something we really need to understand. That all things are in God's control. Everything's in God's control. Even Satan. Satan is on God's leash. As he came there in Job, he said, Man, I'd like to take out Job. He couldn't touch Job. He was on a leash. He could bark at him, but he couldn't get past the fence. Because he was on God's chain. And so we've got to remember that God has all things in control, every authority, even the principalities and powers. And that's why Paul in Ephesians chapter 6 tells the church in Ephesus, don't lose your heavenly perspective. We're not fighting against flesh and blood, but against principalities and powers. And, and, and so when we look at human government, we've got to stop and say, hold it. We're not fighting against flesh and blood. We're fighting against principalities. And on the other side of the coin, we're not submitting to flesh and blood. We're submitting unto God. Why? Because God ultimately has every authority in check. <clears throat> now, I, I do need to add here tonight that Romans chapter 13 doesn't say all there is to say about government. And when we are doing a topical teaching, when we're doing in-depth like this, you got to remember, I mean, it would be like, for example, in Ephesians chapter uh, 6 there, where it says, fathers, don't bring your kids to wrath, and it teach them. Okay, that's all there is to know about parenting. <laughs> no, that's not all there is to know about parenting. If I were to say from that one verse, that's all there is to know, I would be wrong, because there's lots of other verses on parenting. In the same way, there's lots of other scriptures on government. And so, um, again, tonight, as we look at one aspect of government, I'm going to allude to the others and so we can get it in perspective. But the point number one that Paul's bringing across to the church in Rome is every soul has to have this heart of submission to government. Not the fight against but a heart of saying, God's left, left them in authority. God has them in authority because God is allowing them to be in authority. And because God is allowing them to be in authority, I need to submit to that authority. That's the same, that's the same exact heart of submission that Jesus had. Look over in the Gospel of John, chapter 19. In the Gospel of John, chapter 19. <coughs> there, Pilate says to Jesus, in verse 10, Are you not speaking to me? So he's telling him, tell me, you know. He's wanting to ask Jesus questions, and Jesus is not answering him. And he says, are you not speaking to me? Do you not know that I have power? to crucify you, and the power to release you. 
So he's saying, I am the power, I'm the authority here. I can release you, I could crucify you. And Jesus then answered, You could not have, you could have no power at all against me unless it had been given you from above. Now let's just think about this a minute. Jesus saying, You could have no power against me unless it had been given to you from above. Job realized this. His wife understood this. This is of God. This power against you is coming from God. Curse God, Job, and die. And Job said, no. Is it right that we would only receive good from God and not be willing to receive evil? He says there in Job chapter 2. No. I understand that God is ultimately behind what's happening. I know God's not doing this to me. I know Satan would love to do this to me. And for whatever reason, God let that hedge come down to let Satan do that to me. God has an ultimate reason. Now, God's ways are beyond our ways. They're past finding out. Isaiah says his thoughts are higher than our thoughts as high as the heavens are above the earth. His ways are higher than our ways higher than the heavens above the earth. And, and we're never going to figure them out. And if we don't understand, because we don't have all information, and it seems a little corrupt or a little weird to us in our human perspective, the Bible says God is always going to be found true. <laughs> Remember earlier in Romans, let every man be found a liar and God be found true. And that is the way it's going to be. Because God is God. Nobody else is. And then he says, therefore, the one who delivered me to you has the greater sin. And so he's saying to Pilate, yep, you are in authority that my father is allowing you to be there. Um, you are against me because God's, my father's allowing you to be against me. And if the father wished to change that, the father could change that. But he's not. And so you're in sin because you're in cahoots with these guys, but the ones who lifted, who were in other authority, referring to those authorities in the religious community, those Pharisees who gave Jesus over to the Romans, they're going to have the greater sin in this sin that's going on. But for him to stand there and say, I'm the ultimate authority here, Jesus mocks at it. And he says, no way. That, that is not the case. And so, we as Christians need to come back and to say, okay, God has allowed the authorities to be the way they are. Now, as we study in the Old Testament, God answers those questions, why? And normally, you don't like the answers. We see Habakkuk pulling his hair out and depressed. And he goes, God, don't show me one more thing about our nation. I cannot handle it. Don't show me anything else. I don't want another word from you, God. It's too depressing. Tell me, God, is there any answer to this? And God says to Habakkuk, <laughs> I got an answer. You can't handle it. I won't even bother telling you. And Habakkuk goes, come on, try me, God. And he goes, okay. I'm in the works right now, raising Babylon up. Now, at this time, 
Babylon was a city. It wasn't even a state or a country or anything. And he's saying to them, they're going to be the first world-ruling empire. Now, here God is dealing with Israel presently, but at the same time, he's been working for years raising this city up to be the first world-ruling empire. Now, Habakkuk says to him, they're wicked. Why would you bless them? They're far more wicked than we are. And God says, yep, you're absolutely right. And that's, that's really what's going to wound my people the most is that I would use a wickeder nation than itself to destroy it. That's God and his thinking. He's at work. He's doing stuff that just blows our mind. Now, he does say a lot of things in Isaiah. He says, country, straighten up. If you don't straighten up, I'm going to raise up women to be in leadership over you. If you don't straighten up, I'm going to have young children raise up over you. If you don't stop it, I'm going to raise up other countries that will destroy you. If you don't stop it, I'm going to completely take all your country and level it to ash. God t gives them warnings and God tells them and God gives them indicators that it's a wickedness. Now, who is he talking to? The world at large? No, his people. So right now, when we look at the government, it's God speaking to the church. And right now, God is speaking to us, the church. He's not speaking to the world. God is speaking to the church. And he is telling us as the church, not that evil is getting more powerful, the dark side of the force is taking over the white side of the force or whatever. I mean, it's not what's happening. Evil doesn't get more evil. Satan isn't getting more powerful. That's not happening. What's happening is the light is dimming. The salt is less out there to keep the world salty. The judgment is coming but the judgment always first comes in the house of the Lord. Why do we have a Clinton in authority? God's given him to us. To bless us? No. To curse us. Why is he doing this? To get us desperate. You see, the church always needs to be poor in spirit. The church always needs to be hungry and thirsty for God. The church always needs to be desperate, even when we're not desperate. Because we know that, as he says, when you get in the land and you're eating well and everything's going, watch out at that time when you're well fed and well protected and prospering that you don't, in your heart, raise up in pride and say, we have no need of God, we did this ourselves." There in that Thanksgiving proclamation, we pass out from Abraham Lincoln. He says right there, I'm proclaiming this year in our Thanksgiving proclamation that our country would repent because we're intoxicated with unbroken success. And we are approaching God's judgment. <laughs> and at that time, Abraham Lincoln was president. 
the country is was just on a roll, totally blessed. And he's saying, watch out. We have some serious repentance that needs to go on, and we're not doing it. And lo and behold, the Civil War comes, levels the country because of the sin of our slavery that we were enslaving people and oppressing people. And our Congress for, at that point, uh, for close for a hundred years, it was the hottest discussion constantly going on. Slavery is wrong. It needs to stop. They agreed. They agreed uh, 70 years before slavery, before the Civil War ever happened, the Congress agreed it needed to end. But then they debated over 50 years how long it should take before it ends. And those who said six years max were winning. They kept trying to get their six years in, six years in, six years in. And before they knew it, 50 years went by. And so finally, God just said, hey, Time's up. And there became a bloody civil war where brother was turned against brother and father against son. And until there was just a tremendous amount of bloodshed and, and dissension in our country. Since 1973, 38 million babies have been aborted. That is not going to escape the notice of God. Our country is going to we're, we're going to have to pay that blood. We're going to have to pay the blood. We're not going to continue living high on the hog like we are, folks. At some point in time, our country is going to pay for that. And we as Christians need to wake up because it's going to rain on the evil and it's going to rain on the good. It rains good on the evil and it's going to rain evil on the good. We are both together going to receive of the penalty of this. Why? Because Christians aren't desperate. 4,400 babies aborted a day. And now Clinton comes into office and he does this partial birth abortion where they take the baby out and its head is inside the mother. They turn it over and suck its brains out. And I've talked about it. And we're like, wow, did you see the latest movie? We're, 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 not, we're not stopped. Hitler has just killed 38 million babies since 1973. And we're saying, don't bother Hitler because our country's prosperous. We are turning our head. They're not a Jewish race of people, but it is clearly an assault by the devil against a certain type of person in our country. The person who does not have strength, the person who does not have a voice, a person who, Matthew 18 says, beholds the face of God continually. Clinton comes into office. Everything that President Reagan put into force for the family by 1997 Clinton had done every undead every single one of them. Until the family, it's all an out assault. In the last 10 years, the single parent used to be 14% of our country. 10 years later, the single parent now is 38% of our country. 38% of the kids in our country are being raised by a single parent. 
interesting enough, now in the last five years, 40% of those single parents have never been married. 20% of our kids in our country are being raised by a single parent who has never been married. You cannot destroy the family and have a society. The family is the city. The family is the country. And you take the family away, you have no country. You get a bunch of guys together on a ship, you got a pirate ship. You don't have a wholesome family ship. That's what ends up. In the same way, if we have all these single people individually living and acting and we're going to have exactly what we have. Crime at an all-time high. People not caring for individuals at all. And it's going nuts. So, if we could just vote Clinton out of power, it wouldn't matter. God's going to raise up somebody worse than Clinton next time. Until the church gets desperate. What is it going to take you to get desperate before God, hungering and thirsting for Him. What's it going to take for you to be poor in spirit? That's what God's going to do. If it's 50 million Chinese coming ashore on the West Coast and taking over half of the country, that's what God will do. If it's for Russia to send a bomb over here, and, and, and to blow half of our cities up. He is going to do it. If it's earthquakes that cause us all to be hungry and destitute, God is going to do whatever it takes to wake up the church because he loves us too much. The church is not waking up to incredible atrocities that are happening in our country right now. It's beyond belief. It's beyond belief. There's not any of our forefathers, no, how, no matter how decadent they might have been, who would stand for what's going on today. And let me tell you, our country is rewriting history. All these presidents had sex with all their slave girls and all this kind of stuff. Folks, there is no proof of this at all. They're quoting guys who wrote this stuff in 1920 or 1930. That's their source. Period. There's not the proof they claim to have. Well, DNA proves that Thomas Jefferson. Come on, guys. You notice when it came out? It came out at the same time Clinton's on trial. What is he trying to say? Well, Thomas Jefferson was having sex with a slave girl, so what's the big deal with me having sex with Monica Lizzie? That's what's going on. He's trying to say there's that's worse. That's he did worse, and he's one of our great leaders. I can be a great leader and still do what I'm doing. And this is what's happening, folks. And so how do we view this? We view this as God speaking to us. All authority is given by God. Well, what about the Hitlers? Yeah, the Hitlers were by God as well. Well, how do you figure? They killed six million Jews. Yeah, but notice what happened right after World War II. What happened? All the Jews went back to where God had been telling him to go for a long time. The highest population 
The highest population of atheists among any people's group to this day is the Jews. There's more atheists in a, in a people's group, relatively speaking, there's more atheists that are Jews than any other people's group in existence in our, in our world. And here, again, God is trying to get the attention of his chosen people. And so when they had their identity stripped away from them, I'm a wealthy German tycoon, you're a Jew. And they were losing that identity. And when it was stripped from them, no matter if they were a billionaire or whether they were a street sweep, it didn't matter. They were all thrown into the same concentration camp. And those who escaped and those who lived, they all hightailed it to Israel. And the same thing has been going on with Russia as they've been oppressing the Jews. Where are the Jews going? Back home. Why? Because look at the Bible. The Bible prophesied that there would be a country of Israel. So 1948, there's a country right after World War II. God, again, allowed these dictators to live to bring an awakening to his people. That was pretty brutal. Yes, it was. Why did God do that? I don't know. If you make it to heaven, you can talk about it with him. If you don't make it to heaven, it's not going to really make a whole lot of difference where you're going. <laughs> That's the case. You can ask the devil why he did it. I don't know why God does what he does. I know that when it comes to authority, it's pretty earth-shaking. It's pretty earth-shattering. And we need to look at those in authority and get the signals from God that we're supposed to be getting. God's already speaking them to us by His Spirit. God's already speaking to us by His Word. But when we get rebellious of heart, when we get earth-minded rather than heavenly-minded, then God starts using authorities to bring a pressure upon us that will bring us desperate before God. And either we'll start cursing him, the great falling away of the church that we're going to see in these last times. There is no God. If there was a God, he wouldn't allow this to happen, like Job's wife. Or it'll press us in upon the Lord even tighter. If you were to go over and ask the Chinese Christians, what's the one single thing that's caused the Chinese church to be the largest Christian uh, ethnic group in the world? They would say it's the oppression of the government. It's been the best thing for us. Because in that setting, when people make the choice to serve Christ, they are forsaking everything. When we were over in Yugoslavia, and it's still that way today, I was sharing with the leaders on Monday night that there was one gal, a 14-year-old gal who came in. She had been trying to flee from her parents for a week or two, letting them cool down after they found out she was a Christian. They were both lawyers. They were trying to put her in a mental institution to do shock treatments because she believed in God. There had to be something, a, a, you know, a dislip in her head. And so finally, she, the parents agreed not to put her not to do shock treatment, um, and they sort of made a compromise there. But the other kids, many of them realized at the moment they received Christ, it meant their future was over as far as the government was concerned. 
because there the government tells you it's a communist government if you're going to be a doctor or a lawyer or hand out magazines on the corner the rest of your life and if you become a Christian they basically just they don't want to give you a job and if they give you a job it's the hideous job in the world and you got that job till the day you die and the Christians know that's exactly what will happen to them um, one of the gals she was heading to medical school already accepted already going they found out she was a Christian they took it away from her her parents flipped sent her to the other side of Yugoslavia right in the midst of the war to some relatives there to wake her up within two weeks she had a church started it was neat she had led all her relatives to the Lord and people on the street it was it was wonderful but this is what's going on people people are really having to count the cost people are really 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 having to count the cost we don't have to count the cost and we don't count the cost Christianity is a religion where we sacrifice and that's how we grow that I might know you, the power of the resurrection, the fellowship of your suffering, that I might be made conformed to the image of your death. Death is working in me, life in you. Deny yourself, take up your cross, and follow Jesus. Lose your life in this world to gain it in the life to come. These are things that were in no way, shape, or form negotiable with God. Oh Lord, let me first go bury my parents. Let the dead bury the dead. You come and follow me. When you put your hand to the plow, if you turn back, you're now unfit for the kingdom of God. That's why I say, count your cost before you start following me. In America, we don't have to count the cost. It's a social club we join. And God's now telling us the church is corrupt. And if the church is corrupt, Satan will destroy it from within. And so what do we have to do? We've got to be desperate even though things aren't desperate. We've got to be poor in spirit, although we're not poor, which is hard to do. It's hard. It's like trying to get a camel through the eye of a needle, Jesus said. We need to be poor in spirit, even though we've got every source of entertainment at the tip of our fingers. Money to blow and time to spend and every opportunity under the sun. We can fly to any point in the world that we want on any airplane, almost in any city we want to in our country. All of these things are killing us spiritually. And so God is going to continue to use authorities to make things more and more and more desperate until eventually the corruption will cause our hearts to bleed and we will be on our faces before God. And then when we're on our faces before God, God can begin doing what it is he wants to do. So, all authority is of God. But it's unjust. It's because God's trying to get a hold of us. We see there with Daniel, as Nebuchadnezzar is going to kill him and his, his friends. Because he had a dream and all his magicians and everything, they, they 
nobody could tell the king his dream and the interpretation. They said, well, tell us the dream, you know, and we'll tell you the interpretation. He goes, I know you guys, you'll make something up. You'll come up with some answer, even if it's not the answer. But if you've got to tell me what I dreamed, then I'll know that your answer's right. And they said, no, king in all of history's ever required this of anybody. Put these guys to death. And they started going through, putting every single one of the wise men to death. And they came to Daniel and his friends saying, come on, we've got to kill you. And they said, give us just a little time. Tell the king we'll tell him his dream and the interpretation. And there him up the face of God. And as they prayed and as they fasted, the Lord spoke. And of course, what did the king's dream, what was it about? It was about the four world ruling empires that would exist and end times prophecy about the final rebirth of the Roman Empire where the Antichrist would rule and reign on the earth. Information very vital for man to have and we have now in the book of Daniel. God was speaking. So he raised up this oppressive man to oppress people till what? They were seeking the face of God to hear what God was saying to Nebuchadnezzar? No. What God was saying to the church even to today. God is speaking, but we've got to have our antennas up. The waves are going through, but we're not tuning in. We're not catching it. And so God will bring that oppression until we're in fasting and praying and desperate before God, saying, God, okay, what is it? And then the Lord will speak to us. This continued through the life. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego were there, and, and there they were going to throw him in. They were going to throw these guys into the fiery furnace if they didn't bow down and worship this God. So we see, what? That everybody, and guys, there were millions of Jews in the Babylonian Empire that were bowing down to this God of gold, or this God of, this image of gold that he had made. There was only three guys that wouldn't bow down. God's people were bowing down. And God wanted to show His people that they did not have commitment and loyalty even in captivity, even out of the promised land. At the first drop that blood would be shed, boom, whatever Satan wants, I'll do. Just don't take away my comfort. Don't take away my life. Don't hurt me. Don't cause my things to be difficult. I'll bow down. And that's the church today, folks. Going to make things difficult? I'll bow down. What do you want? Let's get along. Let's just get along. Let's, let's be at peace and get along. And Satan is saying, that's right, peace, peace, when there is no peace. But three guys wouldn't bow down. Why? Because God was trying to get a hold of the hearts of His people. And as you remember, he got angry and angry and gave them opportunity after opportunity after opportunity to bow down. It did not matter. They would not bend. He, they would not compromise. They didn't care how hot that fire would be. And remember what happened. The Lord there was in the midst of them. And then Nebuchadnezzar changed his tune. And he said, let all of the world worship the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. And if you don't worship their God, we'll kill you. He turned it back around. But there were these guys unwilling to bow down in the midst of a tyrannical government. Why did God 
put such a fire in Nebuchadnezzar's heart to cause a fire? Because he wanted to see this revival turn around. And of course, you can't legislate man to worship God, and Nebuchadnezzar would have to learn that in the next chapter. But it kept going on. When Daniel was an old man, as you remember, Belshazzar, the grandson of Nebuchadnezzar, starts worshiping the gods of gold and silver while the Medo-Persian Empire is outside. And there the hand comes riding on the wall. Meany, meany, tekel you farce. And you've been weighed in the balances and you've come up wanting. Nobody could figure out what the meaning said. And the grandmother said, your, your grandpa now, Nebuchadnezzar, he used to listen to this guy. They called him in and, and Daniel said, keep all your gold and your silver. Keep all your reward. I don't want it. It's not going to do you any good because the Medes and the Persians are taken over tonight and you're dead. And then what happened? The next government comes in and probably they heard that Daniel had a positive response to the next government coming in and so they made him a government. But remember then, the satraps that were with Daniel, he was one of 120 satraps, that they began to oppress Daniel until Darius now said, nobody can worship any other god but me. And nobody can pray to anybody but me. And there Daniel went home and opened the windows up and he prayed to God three times a day as he always did. And there they came and they threw him into the lion's den. But Darius, who had listened to Daniel, had never proclaimed his faith. He had been one of these, wow, I like what you teach, Daniel. I like your, your Jewish ideas about God. This is wonderful. But he never committed. He never would make a commitment. But when Daniel, the next morning, he comes running out. He must have seemed like a crazy man looking into that lion's den, saying, Daniel, are you still there? Of course he's not there. He's dead. The lions ate him, you know. But here's Darius. What does he have? He has faith. He's just displaying faith in God. Salvation came to Darius. We will see Nebuchadnezzar in heaven. We will see Darius in heaven because of the testimony of Daniel. And he said, I knew your God would, would deliver you. And there he took those satraps and threw them all into the lion's den. And Daniel was raised up in power as God had desired. It's pretty phenomenal as you see how God works and manipulates with these leaders. We learned in chapter 9, what did he say of Pharaoh? For this reason I have raised you up. Because I knew you would harden your heart that I could show my powers to my people. And I could show my power throughout the world. I'm upset with our government. Rightfully so. That's another part of the Bible that tells you to be upset with the government that's not doing what the Bible says because that government is going to be doomed. The Bible says a government that doesn't carry out the punishment of evildoers where the punishment fits the crime and it doesn't happen quickly, that government will, will sink. Our government doesn't do that. You can be on death row for 14 years. The punishment's not fitting the crime and it's not being carried about in a speedy way. Therefore, that government is going to sink according to God's word. So I look at these things knowing that we are on a thin thread left. That rope, each of those threads have broken off and we are down to the last thread, guys. Our country is literally being held by once that used to be a very strong rope. Our early forefathers had said, now it's dangling by one thread. We should all have a godly fear. 
We should all have a godly fear. I can't think of a better word, a terror of what God is speaking to the church, to his people, through the Clinton administration. He is clearly telling us as Christians, we are not serious about God. We're not serious about him. We're not serious about life. We're not serious about being holy. If my people will turn from their wicked ways. That's the point. He didn't say, if my people can legislate righteousness and get all of the world around them to quit being as wicked, then I will heal their land. That's not what he said. He said, why is the land unhealthy? Because I'm trying to get my people to turn from their wicked ways. If I can get my people to turn from their wicked ways, that's, that's what I'm trying to do. He's not spanking anybody else's children. He's only spanking his own children. And God is spanking us. And folks, you can read the newspapers. Our country is becoming a communist country. It's a socialist country. We are heading that. We're almost there. It no longer is the individual rights. They're telling the individual, your rights don't matter for the whole, the community of the whole. That's communism. The government now has a clear indoctrination of our kids in school. They are clearly, they have their own Bible. The government has their own set of morals and ethics that they are saying are the ones of America. They're replacing them with the Judeo-Christian ethics that our Christian fathers established. There, there's many of the states now that demand that you, before you can graduate from kindergarten, you have to have checked that you've read My Two Moms and My Two Dads, which are two books on two lesbians raising a child and two homosexuals raising a child. This is, this is happening. And again, it's in our face because God wants his people to humble themselves. He wants his people to turn from their wicked way. He wants his people to seek his face. We will hear from heaven. He will heal our land when the church becomes the church. When we line up where God wants us to line up, God will then do in the government. He'll free us up to be the church. We're not the church, and so he's having to bring oppression upon us that we would purify ourselves and be the church. So let every soul be in submission to the governing authorities. Let's be broken by it. Let's not fight against it. Let's be broken by it. Let's not say, God, I'm not going to let you talk to me. That would be like a, a teenager who's been told by their parents, do not date that person. I don't want you hanging out with that person. But, but you know, I, I love Johnny, you know, and I want to be with you. Know, it's like, hey, until you're out of your parents' house, you and Johnny are history. It's not going to happen. You submit to your parents. Well, Grandma already said I could come and live with her. Well, go ahead. But you're you're going to find yourself wishing you had listened to your parents. I guarantee it. I remember many years back, I had a gal come in and, 
And, uh, oh, she was 17. And her dad, who was a total atheist, wealthy, one of the wealthiest doctors here in town. And she fell in love with the car mechanic. And her dad thought that was the worst thing. He wants her to go to college and meet a college guy and, and live a rich lifestyle that she was accustomed to as a girl. And he says, this is his motive. This is why. He just, you know, he's oppressive of the poor and, you know, this kind of thing. And I said, it doesn't matter. He's an authority. He's your authority. Submit to him. I don't care if his motives are the worst motives in the world. Submit. God is speaking to you through your dad. Well, as it turned out in a few weeks, that guy ended up being scum. And she came back. And, and her dad was oppressing her for all the wrong reasons. I, I agreed with her on that. Ended up, when her dad heard the counsel that I gave her, her dad ended up reading the Bible. And I don't know if he ever did get saved or not, but he was blown away. Going, you know, I figured the church would side with her, you know, because, you know, I'm this atheistic, capitalistic guy who just wants to her to marry somebody richer. And I'm like, you know, that's wicked. <laughs> I'm not, not going to say that's not right. <laughs> it's not right. But the point is, is that God was still using her dad to protect her. And she couldn't see it. So in the same way, we can try to Go on, you know, our weapons aren't carnal, okay? We need to give honor to honor who honor is due. We need to vote. Let's do it. Let's, let's do what power God has given us to give honor to those who honor is due. But at the same time, we know if we had every single senator was righteous, every single congressman was righteous, and our president was Billy Graham, okay, it doesn't mean the church is being what the church should be. We're not going to skirt around it. We can't get around those verses that God's been speaking to us. We still will have to lose our life in this world. We will still have to deny ourselves and take up our cross and follow Jesus. The issue is not the government. The issue is that the government would have the effect on us that it needs to have upon us. To be broken before the Lord. To have that heart of submission. That is the reason it exists. Because God is making it exist. And God has appointed it, ordained it. Well, verse 1 was great. <laughs> There's more on this subject. And we will look at it next week. Lord, we... Come tonight as we look at this in-depth study and Lord, we know that you truly want your church to be like you. To talk like you, to walk like you. You said in 1 John 2 that if anyone says they know God and does not walk as Jesus walked, they are a liar and the truth is not in them. And Lord, forgive us, God. There's so many who claim the name of Christ, who claim to be Christians, yet they do not walk as you walk. And thus you said they're liars and the truth is not in them. Lord, help us now, God, that every one of us would truly look face to face to you and to say, Lord, change us into your face. As we seek your face, change us into that 
person you want us to be. And God, I don't know about the rest of the country, but we're getting the message here tonight. Lord, you're speaking loud and clear to us. Help us, Lord, every one of us, to be desperate before you, desperately seeking your face, desperately seeking you in the word, desperately looking at our life and not being a notch better than the world, but being truly holy as you are holy. Lord, do what it is you want to do. There's so much power. There's so much love. There's so much working of your spirit that you want to do in the midst of us. But you can only work to that vessel that's clean and pure and set apart for you. Make us that vessel. Make Calvary Chapel San Diego that vessel that's set aside, useful for the master. Help us, Lord. Wake us up. And truly help us to give ourselves to the word and to prayer and seeking your face and turning from our wicked ways. We thank you now in Jesus' precious name. Amen.